you've joined us um, in person or indeed um, online, we bid you a warm welcome um, today here in St. Columbus, Daravulgi. And we begin with a few sentences of scripture. Um, today we find them in Psalm 134. It says, Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. Our call to worship today, a call that encourages us to lift up our hands in an attitude of worship, a call that says we are to be free as we come before the Lord uh, to express who we are in our delight and in our worship of gathering um, together. Let's pray as we begin. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together today from disparate places and from diverse homes and from across our community and indeed online. Lord, we thank you that today your presence with us is beyond measure and your presence with us is without doubt. Help us as we worship you to lift our hearts and our hands, to open our ears and our eyes, that we might leave this place transformed and changed by your presence and by the power of your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our reading this morning is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You, do, you did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with my, the sword of my mouth. He who has a hear, an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Thank you, Frank. We continue in this series in the seven letters um, to the seven churches in Revelation uh, message sent. The message has already been sent um, to us, um, and I suppose the call for us is, are we hearing um, the message? What does it say for us today? And each of these seven churches receive um, different commendations and different condemnations, uh, with Smyrna, the one we looked at last week, being the only one who gets commendation. Um, Ephesus had forgotten their first love. Um, they were called back to put down roots. They were given the tree of life uh, to put down roots, to calling them back um, to strengthen themselves and remember who it was that they were serving. Everything that they were doing 
was still continuing, but their purpose, their passion, their seal was lost. Uh, so why were they doing it? Uh, last week, Smyrna um, received a crown of suffering. They were in a city that had uh, wanted them to kneel down to the emperor. Um, the Jews were slandering them, and so their suffering and their persecution was huge. Um, they were suffering poverty because no one would trade with them, um, and they were being ostracized and put um, to the side. Eventually, uh, they'd be killed uh, for their continuing to stand. And so the crown of life was the prize that they were running for um, there. So today we look at this church in Pergamum. Before we do that, let's just take a moment to pray and to seek um, God in this moment as we open his word before us. Father God, we thank you that your word is living and active as it sells us, is sharper than a double-edged sword. Lord, today we pray that it is your word and not my words as we open your scriptures before us. As a community, uh, Lord, what would we hear today by your spirit um, advance uh, your kingdom in this place? In your name, amen. This city of Pergamum was, um, some of these cities I find really hard to pronounce, um, so I kind of just say it the way that it kind of comes out for me. So Pergamum, um, but but it was known as a city that had really strong roots for paganism um, and for idolatry. Uh, a city that um, would believe anything other than believe the truth of Jesus, ultimately. Would have set up lots of idols to lots of different gods, um, and um, especially uh, the pagan world, um, the world that seeks to distance itself and push God um, out um, from within. They had many uh, gods of healing where there would have been much incantation and chanting and spells and potions um, given um, to try to heal. Described as one commentator uh, as the Lourdes of Asia of that time, a place where people would have flocked to to try to receive healing. Yet it was a place in Asia that was a centre of paganism and idolatry. And so, as we've already kind of mentioned, if the word for Ephesus was love, um, and the word for Smyrna was suffering, then the word for Pergamum is truth. Truth. Now, ever was a need for truth, it's today. We see it all around us. We see it in our leaders. Uh, we see it in our media. We see it all over the place. That truth is no longer truth. We can believe what it is that we believe. And that can be an alternative truth to the facts that are truth. And you can still be okay believing it to be truth. There's no black and white anymore. There's no right or wrong. There's no good or evil. There is the sense of everything is blurring um, together. You can say one thing and then come and say something the next day or the next day and think that it's okay. Truth doesn't seem um, to matter. And so each of these letters, Jesus opens with a description of himself. For the church in Ephesus, he said, um, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first 
and in Smyrna it was the first and the last. So I wonder, as we look at this passage today, the way Jesus describes himself is, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. Now, as we thought about suffering last week, and we kind of did that, uh, hands up for who wants love, hands up for who wants suffering, um, hands up for who wants a man to come at them with a double-edged sword. <laughs> Do you know, it's not something that we kind of think, oh, here, that sounds really good, doesn't it? But the double-edged sword represents the, the Word of God. We see that in Hebrews um, chapter 4, Verse 12. Uh, yeah, so the Word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. This double-edged sword is the Word uh, of God. The Old and the New Testament, if you like. The double-edged sword that can cut through all the guff and settle on the truth quite quickly. And it doesn't matter what way the sword falls because it's double-sided. It will cut through and expose the lies. The, the fact that Jesus describes himself as the one who holds a double-edged sword shows that he is well-equipped to handle the powers of darkness that is over this particular city of Pergamum. He can cut through all of that paganism and that idolatry. He can cut through the core of who it is that they think they are and who it is that they think they worship. And he can cut to the very core of it and he can say, but it's wrong. I am the one that is true. I carry the truth. Truth and love um, go together, don't they? Often whenever we I don't know if it's ever been said, maybe not ever said to you, but certainly I've had some people say to me, I'm just going to say this piece of truth in love. That normally means they're going to tell you something that you think, they think you're not going to like. Okay? Um, and then they tell you in the most harsh manner ever. That does not mean there's any love around it. But the caveat was, I'm going to tell you the truth in love so I can tell you in whatever way I want now because I've given you that caveat. But we know that's not right. Whenever we need to speak the truth, but we do it with love. We do it because of the purpose that is around us. We do it because we want to see God's kingdom built. We do it because we want to see the brother or the sister lifted up and encouraged and brought back into the fold of God. That's what the scripture teaches us and to do. We do that because we love each other, this diverse group of individuals gathered together as the church, the body of Christ, the believers on earth. We do it because we love each other. Because truth without love is harsh, but love without truth is weak. Because if we just love without truth, it's a weak kind of love. We know that whenever someone who we love, who we know that loves us, says something to us that calls us back, we know they're doing that because they love us and because they're telling us something truthful in that moment. For me, I'm struggling. Um, 
Sure, he's very good at saying, James, step it. James, that's enough. James, what were you saying that for this morning? I don't think that was necessary. Or, or whatever way it is. But she does that because she loves me and she knows that I will accept the truth from her because she's doing it in a way that will be to build me up and for my betterment. But yet, if a random person walks up to me and says, what are you at that for, James? I'm more likely to get heckles up and say, well, hold on a minute, who are you to tell me that? And that's an instinct probably within each one of us, isn't it? And so the truth needs love, but love needs the truth as well. And so the two go together. And so in this city of Pergamum, this letter, these lie, now, this city now lies in ruin. It does no longer exist. The great deceiver who enticed these people into paganism to walk away from God to false idols and to live a life where they dismissed God means that the city now lies in ruin and no longer exists. And actually, the scriptures tell us that that same deceiver, the devil, walks amongst us today wanting to entice us away from the faith and the belief that we have in God. Maybe that can start really easily. We can start by a, a simple drifting away. Uh, uh, I'll not bother. I didn't pray today, but sure, it was only one day. It's okay. I didn't read for a couple of days in the Bible, but that's okay because it's only a couple of days. I'll, I'll catch up or I'll, I'll, I don't feel just kind of not bother going to church today or I'll not this or that. And all of a sudden, the drifting begins, but the drifting happens really slowly until as we know Whenever we drift, if a boat drifts, it's only realized whenever it's too far from shore. You watch those um, 999 rescues at sea and all those kind of things. You never hear anybody saying, I get into an inflatable with the purpose of drifting out to sea. They'll always say, I get into the inflatable before I realized that I was too far from the shore and I couldn't get back. But the incredible thing is, no matter how far we drift from God, he always welcomes us back. He shows us the way back. See, the commendation here is found in verse 13. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. And so in the midst of all this paganism and this idolatry, the believers in Pergamum, they remained true to Jesus' name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Even whenever you saw the suffering and what could happen, if you don't recant me, you stayed true and you did not renounce my name. That's to be commended, Jesus says. Verse 14, nevertheless. It's a wonderful word, isn't it? Nevertheless. Not much good comes after that phrase in a sentence. Nevertheless, there isn't. Nevertheless, I have found a few things against you. You have people who there who hold the teaching of Balaam. You've taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin and eating food to idols and by committing sexual immorality. And he goes on to list those things that they have found themselves getting mixed up in, almost drifting into, because the culture around them is doing it. And for us today, that can be quite easy. We can find ourselves drifting in to do things that is acceptable for the culture around us, but does not make us distinct anymore as believers and as followers of Jesus. 
does not show the badge, if you like, the emblem that we wear to the world around us. It does not make us distinct in the world around us. It says, here, this person is a believer, a Christian. For the word of God brings life to those who believe. That's what it says. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them in the sword of the mouth. The word of God brings life to those who believe and death to those who do not. The, the words, the pages of the scriptures bring us life. They are life-giving So what's to be done? Well, we're to believe in who Jesus is. Because he says that he will come to us and he will fight against those who are enticing us away with the sword of his mouth. We use God's word. Whenever Jesus was in the wilderness, whenever he was tempted by the great deceiver, he didn't make things up. He used the words of the scriptures to defeat the words of the deceiver. Because contained in these pages is all that we need to tear down the lies that are placed around us. See, verse 17 carries a promise. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the manna, and I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Hidden manna. It seems like a really weird phrase, doesn't it? Hidden manna. Why, how, what is that about? The Ark of God uh, was in Old Testament times and in the early church would have been the place where the presence of God dwelt before the Holy Spirit came to dwell uh, in believers. It was a symbolism that this is God's presence. That's why the Israelites carried the Ark of God with them into battle, before them into battle, because the presence of the Lord went before them and went with them. Contained in the ark would have been the Ten Commandments that was given to Moses. The very presence of God, it was placed in the holies of holies in the temple. But also in there would have been a piece of manna from the wilderness. Um, it was left there so that it was a hidden presence of God's provision, if you like. A symbol that God provides even in the darkest, driest moments. But here, Jesus is saying to him who overcomes, I will give you some of the hidden man, I will give you all that you need. I will be your provision. It won't be hidden anymore in an ark, in a holies of holies. It will be hidden in your heart. And I will give him a stone with a new name written on it. Often the custom for warriors would have been that they may have taken a stone and broken it, um, two pieces that would have joined together, um, and they would have taken one piece with them, and so whenever they returned, a number of years later, they would have, put the two pieces together and in a sense it showed their identity. It showed who they were. It showed that they were a part of that family. It showed that it was the right person carrying the right stone in case they had been marred and maimed by the wars around them. Jesus is saying, he will give you the provision that you need and he will give you an identity that proves who you are. A new name, it says. And if you read on, into Revelation, the name is really important because the new name is your identity. Names are so, so important um, in, in the scriptures because it is your identity. It carries uh, all of the legacy of your family with you. 
Whilst names are important today, they're not as important today. Names carry meanings, yes. Names identify who we are. I'm, I'm actually called William James Boyd. The only time William is used is if I am talking to a doctor. So I find myself sometimes sitting in a doctor's, well, before COVID, sitting in a doctor's waiting room, um, and it pings up William Boyd. I kind of glance at it and then glance back down again. And then it pings again, and then you look up at it and you go, oh, that was me. Then you get up to go and everybody else is looking at you going, does that man not even know who he is? Because to the rest of the world, I'm known as James. To me, I'm known as James. So identity is important. And Jesus says he will write a name on you that cannot be taken away. It's more than indelible ink. It's a name that cannot be stripped from you. It is his mark and his identity on your life. And you will know that in the multitude of the redeemed, when people from many multitudes and many nations from all over earth will gather in the heavenly realms and sing praises to God. So let us be taken from this letter to Pergamum. Stand firm. Fight the good fight. Your identity is secure and the word of God is true. Stand firm. Fight the good fight. Your identity is secure and the word of God is true. And those are promises that we can get behind this morning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are indeed present with us. That you write a new name upon us and you give us an identity that cannot be eradicated or nor help us in this moment to stand firm to fight the good fight and to carry your name and your presence with us. No matter where we go, in your precious and beautiful name we pray. <coughs> Amen. Um, as we close today, I uh, wonder could we close uh, with the grace, uh, as we say the grace together. Uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit uh, be with us all evermore. Amen. And may that blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon each one of us this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen.